Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I believe there's a rhythm and art in everything that we do. This is my journey about how I went from being a hip hop dancing engineer to a multifamily real estate investor. If you wanna learn more about how you can start investing in real estate, stay tuned to learn from multifamily real estate investors and hear how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. What's up everyone, welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Kuhn. I'm on the journey to go from hip hop dancing engineer turned multifamily real estate investor. This is the show where I interview multifamily real estate investors and discuss how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. But before I introduce today's guest, I wanna remind you that this show is actually brought to you by Invest Next. It is one workspace to manage the entire life cycle of your real estate syndication from capital raising to waterfall calculations and distribution payouts, all while delivering an institution-grade experience to your investors. Notable users include Whitney Sewell from LifeBridge Capital and Brandon Turner from Open Door Capital. Click on the link in the show notes and find out how Invest Next can help you grow your business, streamline your back office, and deliver best in-class service to your investors. Now for today's guests, they are the founders of Adventurous Real Estate Investors. They specialize in return on impact through real estate investing. They create immeasurable impacts in their family, with their friends, in their community, with the families slash residents they serve, in the spaces where they want to be generous everywhere and anywhere. Please give a warm welcome to Susie Sevier and Michael Barnard. That was an incredible introduction. Thank you so much. <laughs> we filled our cup. We're good to go. We <laughs> we're good. We're good. That's it. <laughs> no, but thank you so much for, for, for coming on to the show. I mean, first, uh, aside from like the quick intro, I'd love to give you the chance to introduce yourselves and where y'all are coming from. Absolutely. So Michael and I are coming from all the way from Cambridge, England. So yes, we are on the other side of the pond. Um, what brought us here though, is that Michael's active duty Air Force and he's getting his PhD at the University of Cambridge. So we've been here for two years. We'll be here for like another year and a half. Who knows where we will go next in this journey. And while we are over here, I am a program manager for a biotech company. And so that's just a little what? For the next 16 days. Oh, yes. For the next 16 oh, days. Oh, for the next 16 days. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> She's going full-time real estate. Yeah. yeah. What? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's super cool. Well, and, and you know what's so, so funny is because I did a little bit of my own research as well. And so my mom actually works for almost former company's competitor. <laughs> competitor. Uh, no, oh, competitor. Who's my competitor? BioRed. Isn't oh, that yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, beef, beef, beef? <laughs> no, but con- congrats. And then also, that's pretty awesome that you're also a PhD student. I studied biochemistry, I believe, correct? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Awesome. And you're still able to manage real estate investing all while being across the country. And so, uh, I mean, first off, you know, I'd love to know just like the story of why you decided to invest in real estate and how that just came about. Absolutely. It is a great journey. So like for the first lockdown over here, like due to COVID-19, it was a little over a hundred days. And what happened was that everyone was sent home and it was like, you can leave the house once a day to work out, go to the grocery store, go to the pharmacy. And Michael and I just had a discussion about how we were going to have a lot of time on our hands. If we had to just hang out in the house all of the time. And so once Michael was done with his first year report, 
we were like, okay, what, well, what do we do now? And so we started a mini book club with each other. And one of those books was multiple streams of income. And in that book, Robert Allen talks about real estate investing. And so Michael would read the book first and then I would read it. And he was like, just skip all the chapters. Please just go straight to the real estate investing one. Like we should seriously think about this. I was like, okay. And so we read it, talked about it, found out that real estate investing, like that community had gone completely virtual. So we knew that it was like the greatest opportunity that we had to jump into the space because Real estate investing before was very in-person and face-to-face. And like, right when all of those meetups went to virtual and conferences, it was so easy to like get people onto Zoom. You know, before it was like, oh, why are we having a Zoom call? Like, can't you just call me, you know? And now everyone's on Zoom. And so really that was the greatest thing. And so what we did from there really was like educate ourselves. We bought more books. We listened to more books. We found online meetups. We joined online forums, you know, like bigger pockets was like our, I guess, savior at the very beginning. And then from there, we just put everything that we had like learned into action. And I know there's a lot in between, which we will definitely go over, but like from that starting point till now, we have closed on two properties, which totals 188 units in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So that is what our journey has gone through, I guess, realistically, since we started just only in multifamily in a year. Mm -hmm. Wow. And uh, I'm going to emphasize this. This was all while y'all were in Cambridge, England, which is extremely impressive because even like for me, it's hard for at least like myself in in, in my personal network for my head's wrapped around just investing in the next state. But the fact that y'all weren't doing it across seas is extremely impressive. And then also like during COVID too, I know a lot of people like started, uh, were starting to close in and didn't want to take a lot of risk, but y'all took the other side of that and was just like, now is the perfect time. Can you elaborate on just like what that feeling was like? Like, were y'all scared about it or? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, you know, Definitely, we we listened to a lot of podcasts, a lot. You know what the industry experts were saying. You know, but you know the Warren Buffett saying, you know, if there's blood in the streets, is like that's when you go towards it, right? Or you know, when everybody's selling, you buy. When everybody's buying, you sell, right? So like, whatever the opposite is, that's what you typically end up doing, right? So like, everybody that we knew like took a break. There was a lot of people who took a break from selling or excuse me, buying during that time, Um, but. We were, you know, learning as we went and we, we had a mentor, an organic mentor. We could talk more about that here in a little bit, Taylor, if you want, but organic mentor who was like, no, it's, it's totally fine. You know, this, things are going to shake out. And then we started to see the light at the end of the tunnel with COVID and everything like that with the vaccines rolling out and stuff um, and things starting to open back up and Florida never shutting down. So we're like, okay, we're, you know, things, uh, <laughs> things are looking a little brighter. And so, yeah, we just kept pushing forward and yeah, just took advantage of all the time we had to spend you know, at home, you know, I work in the, a wet lab. And so like the whole time I got to spend at home, I spent either reading or working on our business. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there was a very emotional tie to it as well. Like when you spend a hundred days, like with your partner, you get really, really close. And so at the end of it, it was like, I'm sad. I don't want you to go back to work. Cause I <laughs> like was working from home. I still work from home. Like by the time I leave my position, I will have actually worked in the office two days. And so like to learn. Yeah. So to, to just to experience that in itself 
was like a pretty good, big gift. And so like, that was a driving factor is that like, Hey, real estate investing can create a life where Michael and I can go back to like spending time with each other and spending time, like how we want to. Oh, I mean, it's true. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's, that's so yeah. sweet. That's yes. so sweet. Cause like, I, I mean, I knew a lot of friends that like the, the COVID was definitely a hard time for relationships because they weren't used to like spending time with each other. And then and unfortunately, like some of them did have to split ways, yeah. but like, that's so amazing to know that like it helps you get close. And also taking real estate as the vehicle to kind of bring you close together and work together is extremely inspiring. <laughs> Yeah, we know a lot of people too who've like claimed to have watched Netflix, like the entire Netflix, right? Yeah. So like, you know, during COVID, you know, and like we're here, we don't, we choose not to have a TV because of the distractions it can cause. And so we just either, you know, we just read. Or had conversations with or each other. Or podcasts or yeah, talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Which I feel like yeah. is extremely important in a relationship is communication and talking with each other, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so- you know, now, now dialing back, because you, you mentioned that you had a mentor. Did you meet this mentor before you went over to Cambridge or did you meet this mentor virtually? Virtually. So we were networking. And once you once you have your criteria dialed in, like what you're going after and what markets you're going after, like shout that on the rooftops, right? Like tell everybody that, you know, like, hey, you know, Michael and Susie, we're living in Cambridge, England. We're investing in, in Oklahoma, specifically Tulsa and Oklahoma City. We're looking for these types of properties and, you know, things like that. So like, once you have all your criteria dialed in, tell everybody. And so from us just telling everybody that we met, like at these networking events that we were attending, because we're going to networking events like crazy, like like three or four, five a week, right? As many as we could fit in. Yeah, we went to 10 conferences 10 last conferences year. 10 conferences last year. And we're just like going to every all these things. And we're telling everybody, we're, we're looking in Tulsa, we're looking in Tulsa, we're looking in Tulsa. And then in Oklahoma city. And then one of our friends was like, Hey, I actually know somebody who's investing in Tulsa as well. Let me do an email introduction. Right. Like, and so he was like a active syndicator who had multiple different properties in the market that we were interested in. And so I met with him and I was like, this is somebody who I want to be like in a year or two or three, whatever, how long it took him to get here. I was like, I want to mimic everything he's doing. Cause whatever he's doing is working really well. And then I also want to try to pro- provide value to this individual. And so um, we can get into that as well. But yeah, basically, I, I continue to, you know, reach out, follow up, you know, get market updates, like just shoot, you know, BS with him back and forth on email, like talk about anything. And then, you know, he saw that I was persistent, that we were persistent, and that we were continually underwriting deals and trying to get, you know, in the, in the door with some brokers. And then he decided, hey, you know what, like, I have time now, like, because of COVID, like, I can help, you know, look over your underwriting. Like, let's meet like once a week. He gave me an hour. It ended up being probably like two, three, four hours sometimes <laughs> that we would just chat. Um, and he would just tell me everything he knew about multifamily investing. And he absolutely did it for, you know, pro bono, like for free. Like didn't ask wow. for anything in return, still has never asked for anything in return. Um, the way that that I did, you know, pay him back, once we got our first deal, like, you know, I, I gave him some of the acquisition fee because I was like, you know, he deserves that. He didn't never ask for it. Give him some acquisition fee. And of course, he's now a partner on the deal with us, right? So he has equity in the deal. So like, that's the way he's he's getting back. But he never asked for any of that. He could have been totally fine with us just saying, you know, I don't need anything in the deal. Um, and that's it. So, but um, having him on our team was huge yeah. as far as brokers go, because actually the broker we got our first deal from, he closed a couple uh, properties with this broker. So the broker knew that, hey, you know, this team can close deals. And so he communicated that to the seller. And really had, when we submitted LOI, really had a strong chance going in. So yeah, that was, that was definitely helpful. 
Wow. And that's really cool that uh, he was such a, a go-giver. Uh, I know that term is used uh, a lot in this industry, but being a go-giver and just constantly giving value without uh, expecting anything back and creating you know just what was, a- No, sorry. I was just going to say, you know what was cool though, is that like we had him on our podcast and like something that we learned was that like he had, or his company just like had a spell where actually they were submitting LOIs, but they weren't getting any of them accepted. You know, I guess it was like a little bit of a dry spell. And hmm. so that's even what enabled him to have like the time and space. And so COVID worked in our favor that way too, just because like what he was looking after or looking for, like, wasn't necessarily for sale. So it's cool how like perspectives change, you know, cause like when you have more time to just like go out there and, you know, be able to help others, it's phenomenal. Cause like during acquisitions, you are really, really, really busy. And so I think the timing just worked out like pretty perfect for us to have met him. Absolutely. Well, and did, and you know, now backtracking with the criteria, how did y'all, did he help you sort of like, like hone in on this criteria or did you already know, like kind of like what was set in your minds before even reaching out to him? Yeah, that's a great question. And we, we kind of had a rough idea just from talking with our investors, like as we were onboarding investors and things like that and saying, you know, what are you looking for in a deal? Like you're looking for cash flow or looking for equity, you know, appreciation, appreciation. and things like that, like force appreciation. And a lot of them were looking you know, especially during COVID and the pending economic, whatever's going to happen in the next couple of years, right? A lot of our investors are looking for cash flow. And so like, that's why we kind of turned to these, these markets that cash flow is a thing, right? You can buy higher cap rates, not a lot of competition. You can get reasonably priced deals that are still value adds. So you can get cash flow, you know, they're stabilized as well. So yeah, that kind of talking to investors and then also talking to some uh, industry experts as well. Like, under, you know, we kind of defined our criteria that way. So we look for stabilized assets. You know, 50% of the return has to come from roughly 50% of the return has to come from cash flow. And then we want them, like I think, stabilized so we can get long term financing on there as well. And they have to be cash flowing from day one for sure. So that's kind of like a rough idea of like what the criteria we're looking for. And that doesn't, you know, that's easier on us as well, being overseas because we don't have to babysit, you know, a lot, you know, a bunch of different contractors and stuff like that. Like mm. we just do typical unit turns with, you know, upgrading from a classic to a, a new unit, right? Like it doesn't require, you know, full board, like, you know, gut rehab and things like that. Like, and, and we can maintain occupancy during the whole rehab process, you know? So those are, those are the things that were very attractive to us when we first started getting started. Wow. And were, were y'all ever, did y'all ever have like, were y'all ever bouncing like between markets and, you know, when you were analyzing it, like how did you come back to just, just Oklahoma, Oklahoma city and Tulsa? Yeah, that's a great question. And we, we had considered looking at different markets, but we had boots on the ground in Oklahoma. And so like Oklahoma city and Tulsa kind of became our two markets. And then we also have a mentor who's investing in Tulsa. Right. So like we had, the team kind of there. And so, and we wanted to go all in like Michael Becker, if you know him, like he is like all in on like Fort Worth and Dallas, like that he grew his entire empire there. Right. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to take, I was like, man, this guy's really successful. Let's take the same approach. Like let's go all in on Tulsa and Oklahoma city, and then be known as the syndicators in Tulsa and Oklahoma city. Like, and, and so we just went all in on there. And then also the reason why we don't want to move markets now is because of the property management company. Yeah, um, we mm-hmm. found a property management company that is amazing. They align with our values. We are in lockstep with them. They are just incredible, and 
Yeah. Yeah. You want to find a property management company that like really aligns with your goals. Like Michael said, cause this whole industry is about like working on your business and not in your business. So if you just pick a property management company that doesn't work the same way you do, you're going to end up working in your business. Cause you're going to have to manage every single thing that the property management company is doing. So it's like really, it, it was really valuable that we found property management company that like we can trust from all the way over here. Cause realistically, like if something horrible happens at the property, like you're like, say there's a fire, you're calling the fire department, you know, something worse happens. Like you're calling the police. Like we're never going to go there to handle those problems. So we have to know that our property management company like cares for the people who live there as much as we do. And so once we found them, we were like, Oh, nope, we, we can never break up. This is a relationship for life. <laughs> Absolutely. And so that's, that's one of the things like, so that's why we haven't started looking at other markets. Um, we have, you know, we're always open to like chat with other property management companies that are outside of our markets. Just so, you know, if we decide to ever move outside of Tulsa and Oklahoma city, that yeah. we also find a property management company, we'll, we'll look for a property management company first before we even start looking at deals. I don't care if it's like a killer deal, you know, there's huge upside and things like that. And somebody's selling it, you know, to, you know, 50 cents on the dollar or something like that. Like, I don't care if we don't have the property management company in place, I will not submit an LOI. We will not submit an LOI on that property. Wow. So you make sure your line, your ducks are aligned uh, to yeah. before you start yeah. submitting LOIs. I would love to dive into just like vetting the property management company. Cause I feel like a lot of people have uh, had problems with their property management company. Maybe they were yeah. did, you know, they were dating a lot of other property managers and some work, some haven't. So what were some of the, what were some of the characteristics that stood out to y'all to start trusting this property management company more? No, that's a great question. So we like how they even spoke, like, so were they saying tenants versus residents? Cause like mm -hmm. a tenant like to us, like, that's just like a cringe word. Cause these people are humans, you know, like, is it units or is it apartment homes? Like, are you talking about how we can like have this business plan work, but make sure all the residents are also being cared for? Or are you just talking about pushing rents? Cause we don't need to just push rents. I'm not trying to like kick people out of their homes, you know? So just those conversations, are they just saying yes to everything in our business plan? Or are they saying like having a conversation about it, you know? So, oh, like you can implement this and this in year one, but I would wait for that, you know, maybe in year two, just because you don't want to make all these changes right away because that also disrupts those families' lives, you know? And so it was just, having those conversations. And we definitely had a lot where people just said, yes, yes, yes. Like, yeah, we can do that. Yes, we can do that. Oh no, I think rents can be way higher. It's like, okay, can we have a conversation though? You know? Mm, interesting. And, and for, I, I can see how it just turns very transactional versus like actually like caring about the, the residents that mm -hmm. are on the properties. Now, did you all have a, a, some, a set of questions too? Like when you first reached out to them saying like, Hey, I'm looking to buy here in this area, I was ref referred to you by X and X and O, and that's where the relationship kind of started. Yeah, we do have some questions that I'm trying to think back now. I think we had like a set of questions, yeah. I guess, you know, a list of questions or something like that. But we really wanted to just meet people, chat with them, and then just like kind of let it free flow. There are some things yeah. that we wanted to chat about. Of course, you need to know like what is their percentage, you know, like what 
How much is it going to be for on-site manager, on-site maintenance? You need to know those like general expenses that they charge. And then obviously, obviously, you know, you don't want to take them every single deal and be like, underwrite this expense, underwrite this expense, underwrite this for you, you know, like, cause then you don't end up getting a lot of deals, right? Um, because you have to underwrite, you spend OIs and you don't end up, you know, yeah. one out of 10 that you get. So like, right. there's a lot of work and a lot of pressure on them, but understanding what their general expenses are for sp- specific sub-markets in the market you're looking at is crucial. But also, you know, if, if you're looking at a property and I will have a conversation with a property manager company, like, Hey, you know, I'm looking at this, this property in this sub-market, like, can you do this, this, and this? Like, I won't ask them to expense on running, but we'll have a conversation, right? But also another key thing too for us was we had, like you said, referrals, right? Like we wanted, we were networking with a lot of operators and this property management company kept coming up over and over yeah. and over for the operators in that specific market. And so- Even for brokers. Yeah, even even from brokers. Yeah, brokers were like, you need this property management company, right? So like yeah. everything yeah. pointed towards Amy Boers. And so we got on the phone with her and she's just an incredible person. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, networking with operators as well, they'll let you peek behind the curtain sometimes at their T12, you know, or the, you know, their P&L for that property with that property management company on there. So you can kind of get an idea of like, okay, you know, hundred units is, this is how much they're running for expenses this is what they're doing, you know, for additional income and things like that. So you can kind of peek behind the curtain and it all comes down to networking again, you know, making sure that that you're networking enough and meeting other operators, not just with investors. Right. So you can get that Mm -hmm. information as well. Wow. Shout out Amy Boers. She sounds like a rock star. And also, um, shout out to your mentor, your mentors as well. It seems like they, they've done amazing things. And I want to dive into just the other team member now, because now I feel like this whole conversation is like, it's how y'all assembled the Avengers to be able to take down <laughs> How did How did y'all meet your boots on the ground? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the conferences that we went to, because at this point we were like, they're all virtual. We should just take advantage of them all. You know, like even if we were learn one thing, it's worth it. But in one of them, they talked about like having an identity shift and how if you don't post on social media that you are getting into real estate investing, no one will know to ever talk to you about it mm-hmm. because there's other people who are interested who are probably not posting. But once you make that first post, like you see the people come out of the weeds. And so we had been posting, we'd been posting about like our content and just what we were up to. We did like we went live. We tried to go live for 30 days straight, but we went live just to talk about it. (laughs) And um, one of Michael's like old classmates from the Academy just reached out and he was like, Hey, like I recently left the air force and got into real estate full time. Like we should talk about like it. And so we all got on a zoom call because zoom was just zoom and like, just talked about how this could work. And once he had said like he was interested in multifamily and could definitely be the boots on the ground. We were like, Oh my goodness. You know, like this is exactly what we needed because we still haven't seen our properties just because of the restrictions, but we knew that we had to have somebody look at the properties before we submitted any LOIs. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, that's really incredible too. Thinking that just based on posting and telling everybody like what you're up to, uh, sort of like sparks this curiosity and wanting yeah. to spark this conversation then. Uh, did you ever have trouble with uh, talking about apartment buildings versus like 
single family homes. Cause at least like in, when I'm talking about real estate, when I post it, I think, I think there's a, a good chance that there's a lot of family members and friends that still think I'm buying and selling homes. <laughs> even though I've, <laughs> I've talked about my interest in apartment buildings and that have, did, did y'all run into that as well, where you had to break down like why apartment buildings? I guess yes and no. So like our friends and family were not the people who invested with us. So oh. the people who did invest with us, like we're syndicators that we met in the space and like just different networks. And so majority of them had like who invested with us knew the power of real estate, but maybe they needed like a little more help with explaining things, but it definitely was not like basic level you know, sometimes I still even talk to my mom about it and I'm not a hundred percent sure she <laughs> understands it all, but like with our friends, I think a lot of them thought it was like a scam. Like, Oh, I'm just going to give you my money and make you rich. It's like, no, we're going to make you rich in yeah. the process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of my friends still do that. You know, they're like, why would I save up my harder money and then give it to you? Like, you're not giving me anything you're investing <laughs> yeah. and then I'm going to give you money back. Right. You know, over a five year period, usually doubling your money. So it's like, yeah. It's just, it's yeah. just like this mindset shift. Yeah. And I was going to say, we've noticed that like when the conversation goes in that direction, we just choose to end it because you have to be very like open-minded to actually take on all of what a syndication is and means because there's a lot to it, you know? And so like right away, we can pretty much get a sense of where the conversation should go after like the couple, first couple of minutes from what the responses are from others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because it's not, talked about that much, at least like with, cause, uh, with growing up with the Asian American parents, like there's a very traditional path that people take to invest in their future. And that's usually typically the 401k having a stable job with benefits. And so trying to break them out of that, I've tried it in so many different ways and it's just, it's just difficult. So I guess like to ending the conversation until like they want to open it up and actually think about it, um, seems you know, s- smart then, but also shout out, shout out to y'all. Cause that's a, I feel like that's different. Cause typically the people are saying like, Oh, you know, your family and friends are going to invest with you first. And there's going to be the people that help you in their first deal. Y'all went completely opposite. And it was mostly just operators that y'all met online in yeah. zoom or other, you know, other people who are already investing as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And we found out real quick that, it, you know, we don't have a lot of rich friends and a lot of rich family. So like, um, yeah, we <laughs> knew that they didn't have, you know, the $50,000 or whatever, but you know, I, some of our friends do. Right. But they're like, uh, we're going to sit on the sidelines and, and watch, you know, you know, people that, that we've just met are more trusting to us than our friends that we've known for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Right. But they know, right. The friends who know you for, you know, decades, they know the Michael back in college, right? Or they know Michael as an Air Force officer or Susie as our program manager, not as a real estate investor. So they're like, we don't, you know, we don't trust this new identity you're taking on, right? Or this new job, whatever. So like, mm-hmm. we're going to sit on the sidelines for three or four deals and then we'll potentially invest after that. So it's funny, um, but whatever. Wow. <laughs> no, it's, it's inspiring. It's inspiring. And so now I'd love to just dive into that first deal and what that experience was like, like how you found it and how you've been operating, how it's, I guess, how it's still going as well. So, I mean, first, how did, how did y'all find that deal? 
Yeah, so it came actually through a broker. We were submitting LOIs with the broker for a while, and he knew that we were serious, and he knew that our team could close. Uh, we just weren't make, getting any traction. So he brought this, he brought us this other deal. Um, when we first brought he first brought it to us, we weren't that excited about it. Um, <laughs> just because we, we love the asset; it was a great asset. However, like the finance, the finances just weren't there yet because it wasn't stabilized. Right, that was our criteria. We need a stabilized asset, and so we watched it. We courted it, if you will, for a couple months and like watched it. And the, the current owner, the previous owner was, you know, slowly filling up the units as he was, you know, you know, doing some renovations and things like that. And it, and actually it ended up being stabilized for one month and then it was stabilized the next month. I was like, okay, cool. We're on a trend. We need like one more month so we can get like long-term financing on it through agency debt. And so, because they require, you know, stabilization in their minds is 90% occupied for at least 90 days. And so it was hitting at 90% for two months. It was trending in the right direction. And everybody else saw that too. There's, you know, LOI submitted like crazy once people saw that. Uh, but because the broker was able to communicate that to the seller that we could close because we had our mentor on our team and another uh, experience operator as well, like we were able to definitely win the favor of the seller and then and get the get the LOI locked up for sure. So nice. And congrats. That's awesome. Now, were there any, you know, challenges as well? Uh, maybe it was like your own like personal internal challenges or even like what well, aside, from, I guess, aside from getting the, the property stabilized then like was there or was it a pretty easy close on, on your end? Yeah, there was definitely a lot of challenges along the way. You know, there's always challenges like when you're closing on a deal, there's always ups and downs. It's a roller coaster ride. Yeah. You know, there's difficult things and then it becomes really easy and quiet. Nothing happens. And then difficult, quiet, difficult, quiet, like all the way until the end, you know, well, so, until the last minute. Yeah. Like there, you, nobody ever tells you how much paperwork there is to do, but like when there is paperwork to do, you need to do it immediately. So you have to like drop everything to get it. But then because we even got agency debt, like they wanted so many updates that like, it felt like we gave them an update and three days later, they'd want another update. So it's like, cool. We have to do handle all of this paperwork. We have to handle all of this communication. We have to still talk to investors, figure out when to write the investment summary, do the webinar, set up bank accounts. Like there is just a lot. And with your first deal, you don't, you don't actually know. Like Michael and I, after it all made a checklist, it's 293 items now of like everything that we have to do going forward. And yes, we will add stuff and take some off with time and with every deal, but to think about it in perspective, like that's how much it was. Like we went through all of our emails afterwards and we're like, oh, this is something we, we will probably forget about next time. This is something we will probably forget about next time. When should we engage the SEC attorney? When do we have to like set up dates, you know, cause if you tell your SEC attorney, like, oh, I need the PPM bias this day. You really just need to lie and tell them you need it a week earlier. Like simple things like that, you know, just what you learn, like having communication from your attorneys isn't always phenomenal. Like finding time to answer every investor's question after the webinar, maybe even before the webinar, there's just so much to do. That's really what the challenge is. Is that like, there are so many blind spots and you get to just learn about every single one of them along the way. And there were little things too, like on our OM, like this is small, but it's just something I remember. It said that we were going to get gym equipment. And then when we, it's like, what, a couple of days before we're closed and there's no gym equipment because they took it out because of COVID. We're like, okay, well, where is it? 
You know, like it was just part of the OM. Oh, it's at a different property. I'm like, okay, well, you're going to have to bring it back. So it's like, you also have to look out for things like that. Just things that you don't think you have to look out for. Yeah. And so also in closing this property, uh, I give you your listeners some some advice on capital raising, right? So Susie <laughs> can talk more about this as well, but like it was our first capital raise. We had to raise $1.75 million to close in this deal. We made a couple of mistakes. One was one mistake we made was having a webinar on Thursday. We had it on Thursday night, Eastern time, right? So, and what, where I'm going with this is like, what are people doing Thursday night, right? I mean, Thursday night, you have a webinar, you wrap it up. People are then going probably to have dinner with their family uh, after the webinar because it's set in the evening. And then Friday rolls around. Guess what they're doing on Friday? They're worrying about the weekend and getting prepared for the weekend. Exactly. Yeah, yeah they're ready to party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not worrying about your deal, even though it's the most important thing in your life right at that moment, it is not the most no. important thing in your investor's life. And then the weekend rolls around. Guess what they're not doing on the weekend? Worrying about investing in your deal. <laughs> yeah. So the first, you know, we had the webinar and then within 24 hours, we did have like a million dollars raised. However, we had like $750,000 left. And we're like, when Friday evening came, Saturday came, Sunday came, Monday came crickets, right? We're like, oh my God, like, how are we going to raise this money? We cannot, this isn't like, we had so many people show up. Like, why, why aren't they like responding? Why aren't they investing in our deal? Blah, blah, blah. You just have to be patient. We came, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> follow up, follow me up with them. And then like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, when it, you know, when people are back in work doing their thing. Like then they started investing. So it did take us like two and a half weeks to raise that 1.75. And those two and a half weeks, I think Susie and I probably slept for seven total hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Because we were just so concerned about Yeah. That. Cause I mean, if you don't raise the money, like your, the broker doesn't want to work with you anymore. That seller will never want to work with you again. Like it's just like that really horrific tsunami of yeah. water that I don't want. And to you have in. a bunch of hard money out there too, right? Yes. You're, past, you're past the due diligence period, right? So you, your, your, your earnest money is now hard. You know, you have money out for applications for the loan. You have money out for your SEC attorney. So I think we had like close to hundred grand out, you know, like if we don't close, if we lose, we lose six figures, you know, like we have to close. And so like you learn how to hustle really, really hard, right? <laughs> when the, when that money's in the line for sure. Wow. And this was all while you were, uh, you have full-time jobs and you're studying. How did y'all manage that? Was, was the time difference? Did that, I guess, help manage some of it? Oh yeah. Okay. Because like by the time it was 6 PM here, it's noon back in Oklahoma. And I mean, regardless, it could be 10 AM, you know, on the West coast. And so we still had like another five or six hours where we could be very, very accommodating to people during the day. And even with people on the West coast, like we woke up really early some mornings, like three 30 or four so that we could talk to people in California because then it's only seven 30 or eight yeah. PM. And then another mistake that we made Taylor was that we, at the time of the webinar, we didn't have everything. Oh, we didn't yes. have everything set up. We didn't have the bank account set up. We didn't have the PPM ready for people to sign right then. Right. So like that loses that, momentum. Yeah. If you don't have those things. So if you're going to do a webinar, make sure that you have the PPM ready to go and sign loaded in your investor portal, whatever, whatever you use for your investor portal ready to go. And then also make sure your bank account is ready to be funded. Right. So like they can go after the webinar, they can go in, they can look at the, read the PPM, sign the PPM and then wire their funds immediately. Right. And so if you, if they have the webinar and there's a lag time between the webinar and when everything's ready, 
um, you're going to lose some investors, right? They're going to lose interest or maybe yeah. maybe another deal came up that mm-hmm. they can invest in. They invested in that instead, right? And another thing too is like going back to the webinar day on Thursday, we have now since moved ours to like Tuesday and we've do them around lunchtime. So that gives mm-hmm. people, and if they miss it, then we still upload it within you know an hour or two after the webinar. It still gives them a chance to watch it that afternoon. And then we're, you know, and to figure out if they want to fund it that evening, right? And then they have two, you know, Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the entire work week where, you know, if they're not doing anything at their job, they can worry about, you know, funding the deal or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, it's just all these mental, mental things, you know, you just, we had no idea. And it was, it's like tacit knowledge that you pick up, yeah. you know, through the process. So. Wow. And I love how granular you get into, into the details within it. It's almost like y'all, y'all are doing after action reports. <laughs> <laughs> we are You're always writing down things that, yeah, I'm a systems person. So like if I've done something, I have to write down step one through 20 or whatever, how many steps it takes exactly how it happened. So then I can dump all that out of my head and I can be more creative and, and, and think, be more of a visionary, visioneering, visioneer. Versus like worrying about like, oh, you know, do I need to do this or do that or whatever? Or what did we do last time? Like it's all there, right? For us. So mm. yeah. Well, and uh, that's that's what's fascinating too, is uh, even like with creating like these systems, at least like, did you ever get, I guess, get a little worried knowing that some of these systems are like these blind spots that you didn't necessarily know about and like still continued to move forward? Like I guess like that. In my mind, that, that also seems kind of scary, like not knowing what you don't know. And so like, did, were you just asking your mentor like a lot of questions? Like, what was that experience like? Yeah, we asked him a lot of questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and we like asked other people questions too. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. because we had to feel better and, and that's okay. Like really do not suffer in silence ever <laughs> because we wish we would have asked him sooner because we would have felt better sooner. Instead, we were mm. like nervous, like, oh my gosh, what if we go to him and we tell him we don't know if he can close? Like right when we told him, he's like, you're what? You're you're going to close. Like, just wait. We're like, we should have just told you this a long time ago. You know, instead uh, we let like those soundtracks replay in our head over and over and over. And yeah. we didn't need mm. to. But it's it's huge. Like having a mentor as part of your team, like whether, whether or not that's an organic mentor or even somebody you pay to be your mentor or whatever, like be very careful what you pay for and who you pay, you know, like, I will say, you know, as a recommendation, you know, if you're interested in investing in, you know, let's say Dallas, Texas, find a mentor who oh, is yes. in Dallas, Texas, or who is investing in Dallas, Texas. You don't, if you're, you know, if you're investing in Dallas and your mentor is investing in the Carolinas, guess what? They don't know the, all the details about the yeah. submarkets of Dallas, right? So like, yeah. make sure that if you invest a lot of money and into a mentor or whatever, make sure that's a mentor that's the right fit for you. And it's, investing in the market that you're interested in. So having an organic mentor that we met in the specific submarket that or the market that we were interested in was huge because I was like, what are these, what does utilities look like? What does this look like? What does maintenance make ready? Things like that. Like what is what are these vendors run for, you know, um, trying to figure out what the budget is for the CapEx, like having all that at our disposal was huge. And then also like having a mentor who can guide you through this whole process from start to finish as well is huge. Like, cause I would write down questions I'd have throughout the week and then meet with him on Saturday and be like, okay, here, here's all the questions I got, man. Cause like just things you don't know, right? Like you don't know, like you said, there's a blind spot. It's like, you don't know what you don't know until you get there. And you're like, oh crap. You gotta uh, do it. 
didn't know what I had to do there, you know, like, got it, got it, got it. Now, you know, switching gears that I'd love to know, like what next steps and like what the future is, is looking like for y'all and like what you're, what y'all are focused on. Yeah. So we have a JV uh, that we're closing on in a couple of weeks. We're looking forward to that. And then we have two more properties that's in our portfolio that we're closing in September. So like 200 more units, basically for through, you know, in a month, we'll have 200, we'll basically double our portfolio in, in about a month. So nice. To that. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. And then uh, what is the, now, what is the legacy that y'all like the, the big picture, the big why, like, what is the legacy that y'all want to leave in the world now? Yeah, that's a great question. So because Michael will like go back and teach. So he was a professor. We'll go back to the air force Academy and teach again. And cause I've been a coach and a mentor, we were strategizing like, okay, well, how can we like live the life we want, which is being able to travel everywhere, but be able to educate people at the same time. And so what we want to do is go and like live in developing countries, like figure out the communities that would need this the most. And we want to actually build schools in communities that would need them because basic education can solve so many issues. And that's just basic. And so like we, that's why I said, like, we really want to go and live there because we don't want to build a school in a place where it's just going to become a building because they don't have like the resources in place or anything else in order to back it. Like we truly want to get to know the communities and figure out how we can serve them the best. So if that's not a school also, that's totally okay. We just want to come to a space where we can help educate people on the things that they truly, truly need just because there's so many people out there who like just need a little help. And like, if we can just impact somebody 1% every day, then it's all worth it. Right. Like, cause if I can impact somebody and Michael can impact somebody, and even if you can impact somebody, hopefully they feel that effect and they go and want to impact somebody else, you know? So just to start that momentum is really what that's our bigger picture. Yeah. And then that, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) I was just going to add to that, Taylor, was just not investing in our backyard has forced us to set up the systems and processes that we need to be successful from anywhere in the world. So we want to go live at these places. We can still run our business from afar, right? Like we are over 4,000 miles away from our properties now. Like what's the difference between 4,000 and 8,000 or 12,000? Like it doesn't matter, right? Like if we have the systems now, those systems will work from anywhere. And I feel like Unfortunately, like a lot of people who invest in their backyard, like they're so ready to just hop in the car and go look and drive past it, right? Instead of thinking, how can I build a system or a process that doesn't require me to get in the car and go look at the property or whatever, right? So we're building that now because that, that feeds into our ultimate plan. Yeah. And even like our whole thing is like return on impact, like our whole business, I guess, lifestyle. I don't know how what word to use. And like to even bring it back back into the community. So like in Tulsa, exactly, you know, with our business plans, for example, like we've added washers and dryers into the units. So that's huge within itself because these residents now no longer have to leave their home to do their laundry. Because if you've ever had to do that, it's not like a quick, fast thing, you know, it can take four or five hours. So they get that time back and they can think about themselves. And we have resident events so that they can like truly feel like it's a community. Like we make sure, like I said, because this has to do with our property management company as well, that like the on-site manager cares about the people. Like there's a lot of thought that goes into it and like how you can impact others because when it's no longer about you, everything falls into place. 
Hmm. It really does. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And and just the entire vision itself. And like, I guess even, even just the emphasis on education and wanting to build schools in, in these developing countries is inspiring. And, and so one thing I wanted to, I wanted to ask is because uh, like you're an MBA, future PhD, or wait, you're, are you, you're a PhD student. You're not, or do you have your PhD? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Future PhD, future doctor then. I feel like, especially now, like in today's society, like you have all these kids saying like, oh, don't go to school. Uh, don't get educated. I'd love to just know uh, and dive more into like how education has impacted y'all's lives because y'all were in the education system for like a pretty long time even even till now and i feel like people nowadays are sort of like bashing education like oh saying like you don't really need it or or this and that so like what has education done for your life and now carrying that on to like what this future vision is yeah that's a great question do you want me to start okay so for me like what I would say is that if you are going to take like an education route, like whether that's getting your M or undergrad or a master's, like go in it with intention. So what do you want to get out of it? Cause that might make a world of a difference, right? Instead of just going to go. But for me now, so I got my undergrad in anthropology and communication studies. I took those classes because I loved people. Did that help me get jobs? Not really. Cause then I ended up being an accountant, which if you get to know me better, like does not fit me at all. <laughs> so I got the MBA because of that. I was like, okay, well, I know I love people and I know I love business. So what can I do with that? So what I really got from my MBA though, is I, I mean, like I got a best friend. She's helped me like become a more confident person. Like the people I met in my classes were phenomenal. Like I love the connections that I've made. I would say though, that like my anthropology and communication studies degree is helping me more now in real estate investing, just because at the, my core, like I want to learn about people and why they do the things they do, you know? So like, which goes exactly into managing a property, you know, like being on the asset management team, like what ideas can I come up with so that these people can be the best people that they need to be in order to then give back to their family and give back to their society. So that's just how I feel about it. I mean, like I said, if you're going to like get a degree, just go into it with intention. Like, is it just going to be a stepping stone? Are you doing it because like a passion of yours can be used and you can just learn more and have that grow somewhere else. Like it doesn't have to be like, Oh, I have this degree. It can be like, no, I got this degree like for these reasons, you know, cause I, I heard so many times like, Oh, you got anthropology. Like you like to look at rocks. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I don't think this is going to be a good fit. <laughs> like they don't need to know what it is, but it was just like jokes like that. I was like, no, I just really like people. Like I loved learning about them. It was really cool. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. And for me, um, education has been, you know, has been a big part. Like I have a master's degree now I'm going to PhD, um, hopefully in the next year. But he'll have it in the next. Yeah, year. hopefully we're, man- <laughs> we're manifesting it. You're you're gonna get it, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, but you know, I did it because my ultimate goal was to teach. Right? I love biology. It's just something I love to do. But what I love more than biology and biochemistry is teaching. Right? I just mm-hmm. happened to I love biology, and now I can I can explain things in a simplistic way to a wide range of people. Right? So like. Mm-hmm. I love that. And teaching at the Air Force Academy has really allowed me to, like really brought a lot out of me, like a lot of confidence in 
just something I love to do. Like I never felt like I worked in a day of my life when I was working there. And so I will go back there after I'm done here. I'm looking forward to that. Um, even though I can retire shortly after that, which I'm looking forward to that as well. I just love teaching. And so that's where Susie was mentioning earlier, like our whole passion is like teaching, educating and things like that, because I really enjoy like watching people's face light up yeah. and saying like, Aww. and then like they get a concept, right. And you're like, and it's like amazing. It's just like, I don't know how to explain that feeling, but then knowing like I made an impact in their lives so much that a lot of those students that I had still reach out to me. Like I'm mentoring a lot of my students now, like, and now they see me in the real estate space and they're like, Hey, teach me about that. And so I've taught several of them about that. Right. So like, it's just, it's just awesome. And then like, or they ask me just life advice, right? Like being, I love being there for people to give them mentorship somehow and also to educate them. So to go back to your question, yeah, my, my master's degree was to ultimately get me to in a teaching position. Now a PhD is ultimately going to get me in a teaching position again. And that's that's the whole plan with education for me. And it sounds like, uh, I mean, you know, forgive me for assuming uh, a future real estate coaching, you know, we already have the checklist in, in play. <laughs> I mean, that could be up your alley too. No, but that that's super awesome. It, and, you know, thank you for just elaborating on like the experiences that y'all have had and, and giving us this insight on how you were just able to break down these barriers and invest in real estate and also still just chase, you know, your passions and your dreams. Now, if people want to get a hold of, the, of, of both of y'all, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, thanks for asking, Taylor. So the easiest way and to get a hold of us is just by going to adventurousrei.com forward slash info. So on that page, it's a landing page with a bunch of links and stuff like that. On that page, you'll be able to read more about Returnal Impact. Susie touched on that. You can find our podcast, The Adventures of a Real Estate Investor. You can find our YouTube channel because I love teaching, explaining simple things for multifamily real estate investing or finances and things like that. That is on our YouTube channel called The Adventures of a Real Estate Investor. And you can connect with Susie and I via LinkedIn there as well. Yeah. And if you... If you connect with us, make sure you drop a line in there and say that we met on this podcast or heard us on this podcast, on Taylor's podcast, and we will accept that connection. So make sure you do that. <laughs> awesome. And uh, there's super cute pictures of y'all on your page. Like, it's, <laughs> Thank it's, you. it's so, it's, it's, it's so Instagrammable and like Pinteresty. Like, it's so cute. Definitely go reach out. <laughs> Definitely go reach out to them and, and and stay tuned. And in the next few days, we're gonna come out with the action items episode and how y'all can start taking action towards your real estate investing journey. So thank you again, Michael and Susie. I appreciate y'all for coming on. Thanks. It's such a pleasure. Yeah, thank, thank you guys so much. Thanks for listening to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. If you got any value out of this episode, I'd greatly appreciate if you head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review the show, which will help more people receive that same value. If you're looking to connect and talk more about multifamily real estate, you can reach me at inrhythmmultifamily.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.